Someone I know and actually like a bit <clears throat> came to Romamu a few weeks ago. It was great seeing him here. It was a pleasant surprise. In fact, I almost didn't recognize him, and then I recognized him and gave him a big hug. It was amazing to me, though, what he got out of being here. It was his first time in this community. He didn't tell me then and there, though he did say our community was inspirational, it was unique, and a few other adjectives, you know. Eventually, he did write about his feelings, but not to me. They landed in the Jewish week this weekend, where all of you are invited to read them. Essentially, and I'll be very brief, I'll sum up his, his reason for writing. This person loved, he said, and appreciated what communities like ours represents. He loves what we create. He loved the vibe. He found the prayers meaningful, inspired. He found it innovative and creative. But three things bothered him. And each of them, he argued, signaled a withering relationship between Israel and the diaspora that we represent. The third, maybe I'll start with the second reason. The second reason, he, the second thing he found troubling was that my sermons, though erudite and Talmudic, were ever so slightly Christian. Can I get an amen? And too universal. The third thing that he found problematic was, and this, I actually agree with this critique, and it's something that we won't discuss tonight, but it needs to be discussed, is that for many liberal, progressive Jews and their communities, Friday night is a destination and not a departure. For many liberal Jews, Friday night is where you come to get your one-stop shop, all of your Jewish identity, all of your Jewish nutrients. And then Tuesday morning and Wednesday afternoon and Thursday, the Jewish tradition, rich as it is in resources and wisdom, practices and prayers, is essentially relegated to one Friday night live. Something to touch upon for the future because there is truth in that critique. But amazingly, there's some light at the end of that tunnel as well, which we'll get to in a moment. The first thing he criticized was that communities like ours represent an unrecognizable element to most Israelis who, when attending our services, would not recognize what we are doing. Okay. I get the church, maybe the musical instruments, but based on the many conversations that I have had with various Israelis who are in our community, both who visit and belong, 
I doubt highly if this is any more true of Romamu than it is of Reform, Reconstructionist, or maybe even conservative synagogues. But let's say that it is true. Let's grant it to him. It isn't recognizable. His assertion begs the question, who cares? Since when is having a recognizable service a fundamental value of being Jewish, and even more importantly, of being a spiritually mature human being? Unrecognizable, foreign. The rabbis of the Midrash have something to say about things that are unrecognizable on this week's Torah portion. This week... We begin the fourth book of the five books of Moses, and it is always read, year in and year out, before Shavuot, the festival of receiving revelation, of receiving Torah. And so the rabbis in the Midrash read revelation into the beginning of this week's Torah portion, which doesn't have anything to do with revelation. Listen to this Midrash. Picking up on the strange beginning, Vaidaber Adonai el Moshe bemidbar Sinai. And God speaks to, the, to Moses in the desert of Sinai. Last week we began, God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai. Sinai is usually a mountain. Why is it here designated as a desert? It is a desert as well. The rabbis pick up on the Midbar element. Midbar means a desert. And Sinai is where revelation took place. You can't receive Torah, says the Midrash. Or really, you can't own Torah, you can't own wisdom unless you aren't owned yourself. Unless you yourself are open like a pos- an unpossessed field, free. Hefker means disowned. Unless you make yourself like Hefker, say the rabbis, you can't be koneh, you can't be, you can't acquire Torah. The acquisition of Torah, the barter doesn't take place unless you are empty and Torah fills you. And that is itself the acquisition. An unpossessed heart and mind are the prerequisites for learning. Emptying ourselves, the famous Zen story of the professor who came to see the Zen master, wanting to know answers to his existential questions, sitting to have tea with him, the master begins to pour and ask the professor to say when. And they're speaking, and the professor is asking questions and questions and questions, and he's pouring, and the Zen master is pouring and pouring, pouring, and the professor says when, 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 and the, the priest keeps pouring, and the, the tea is overflowing the cup, and finally he screams, enough! And the master says, When your cup is so full, there are no words that can fill you. When we are so full of our expectations, of a yearning for the recognizable, the anxiety of not being able to stay with, the uncertainty of what will arise, the emptying ourselves. I've seen it firsthand this last couple of months. I taught... uh, uh, an introduction to Jewish mysticism at the City University at CUNY. And I was so moved, so touched by 
18 non-Jews who showed up to learn Kabbalah with me. And there were two Jews in the class. One of them was very engaged. And the other would saunter into the class 15 minutes late. Summarily put herself by the wall, plug in her iPhone, and check her text messages almost the entire time. Unless I needed to explain a Hebrew word to the non-Jews, and then she would literally plug in and explain to them what the word meant. I was so struck by her sense of having known it. She came in with a yeshiva day school education. She just happened to be studying with me because it looked interesting, maybe. But as I gave her all of this new information, things that had moved me in my life, she had no interest. She was full. She was full of what she expected she should know. Many of you here will be sitting somewhere this coming Tuesday night. You'll be learning Torah. And by that I mean texts, lessons, instructions, and insightful teachings. This is a more narrow definition of Torah. Let's call that text Torah. This definition of Torah is extremely important. I'm proud that our community stresses Talmud Torah in the many offerings that we have during the week. I sat this week with a group of rabbis around a big, large table, all of the rabbis of the Upper West Side and the Lower East Side and all of the rabbis of New York City. We sat around and I recognized an old friend of mine who is an Orthodox rabbi here in New York. And he said to me, what do you guys do over there at Romamu? I said, what do you mean? What do you guys do over there? You're sure. <laughs> he said, we learn and we, we pray. I said, great. He says, how many people do you get on a Friday night? I said, oh, we get a lot of people. He says, oh, that's great. He says, do they learn? I said, well, we have a Tuesday night class. How many people come? I said, sometimes it's so, it ranges between 20 and 40 people every Tuesday night. He said, really? You get, sometimes you get 40 people at a class? He said, I have classes all week, and we get five people, 10 people. I said, that's right. <laughs> every, every community is called to improve. And God willing, I look forward to an ever-increasing programmatic schedule that will foster a deeper commitment amongst our community and in partnership with other communities to raise up the value of Limud HaTorah, of text Torah. But just as each and every tribe in this week's reading tomorrow morning stood under a particular flag, a unique flag, each according to its tribal affiliation and its gifts, we are called here at Ramamu and in other communities like ours to affirm an, a legitimate emphasis on a different kind of Torah. A Torah that partners and collaborates and fulfills and completes text Torah, and that is called life Torah. What do we learn from a text and from life when we've lost our bearing? How is Torah relevant to me in my desert, in my midbar? How is my spiritual practices, how are my deep structures holding me as life 
sometimes seems to drop me? How does Torah illuminate my heart? How does Torah make me into a compassionate, loving human being, not just a good Jew, but a flower in God's garden? I found it ironic that an Israeli friend would say that our form of practice is unrecognizable when every new month in Jerusalem, at the holiest site of our people's history and our connection with the divine, the Western Wall, a group of women gather to do something radical, to pray, to pray in a way that they find meaningful and moving. The women of the wall gather to do such radical things like wear a talit and maybe even wear phylacteries if they feel so called. I imagine for many of those who were throwing coffee this morning at them and other objects, their practice was unrecognizable. I imagine that it made them uncomfortable thinking that they were holding up their halachic right and their own individual obligation. So painful to imagine how those things in our life that make us uncomfortable when not seen clearly for what they are can lead anywhere but towards revelation, leads inexorably down the path of, of a stultified and stale Torah. These two Torah, these two Torahs, text Torah and life Torah, they are given bamidbar. They are given in the empty space of unrecognizing, of unknowing, of uncertainty, of openness, like the hefker, the unpossessed heart that says, take me, I'm yours. It is given in the desert to remind us that life's wisdom appears to us not in a special land. It is given before we enter the land of Israel. It isn't given in the United States. It isn't given particularly through my elegant sermon or not elegant sermon or before anything. It is given in the empty space that we create for it to arrive. We mustn't allow ourselves to learn the text of our tradition or the text of our lives in a way that diminishes our soul or the soul of our nation or the soul of your divine birthright. Yes, birthright. There's a trip that we at Ramah will want you to take. It doesn't require philanthropists. It doesn't require huge sums of money. But it is a birthright trip. It is a trip into your own heritage. It lies here and at BJ and at other synagogues around New York City. It will be at the JCC on Tuesday night. It will be in your own unwatched and unpossessed heart when you respond with compassion to a situation that calls for anything but. That is your birthright. Your birthright is Torah. May the God who gave Torah and inspired all of us through the generations to live it and to breathe it, inspire each and every one of you to own it, to be konet Torah, to make it a kinyan, to make it your own. And may we have the courage to set that stage 
by leaving a space open for it to arrive. And let us say, Amen.